last week we started by defining uh, generosity. And if you would look in the dictionary, what you would see that generosity is very different than just giving. Giving is, is transferring, right? One, a resource to someone else or to a particular uh, organization. But generosity, uh, it says this, it's showing a readiness to give more of something than is necessary or required. It's a readiness to give more. So it's an attitude. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. I've never really experienced the emotion of generosity. Anybody? I've experienced the after effects of being generous, but you're not going to wake up one day and feel generous. It's a, it's a decision. It's an attitude. And the definition, though, that we're working with is, is this, not just the, the dictionary definition, but this. It's a decision to orient your life around being used by God. If I were to ask in here who would like to be used by God, I would imagine that a majority would raise your hand. But it's when you make the decision to be used by God, to orient your life around that, you're making a decision to be generous because we serve a generous God. At the very core of who God is, his character is generosity. For God so loved that he gave. God has been giving of himself from the beginning of creation. If we are going to be like him, if we're going to be used by him, then we in turn will be generous. If we've been created in the very image of God, we can't help but be generous. Now I said this last week and I believe it because I'm an idealist. I believe that we all want to be generous in here. We all want to be. We just don't feel like we can. We all desire to be. We don't feel like we can. And why is that? We talked about the scarcity mindset that we, uh, a number of us may live in, a number of the people in the world live in. The scarcity mindset is this paradigm of looking at the resources that we have, and specifically money. Now, the scarcity cycle is this, that God supplies because we believe God supplies everything, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So God supplies he supplies in our life, either weekly, bi-weekly, bi-monthly, or monthly. However your job pays you is provision from the Lord. And when we receive that provision, the scarcity cycle says this, God supplies, we consume. How do we consume? We pay bills, we buy stuff, not, not bad things, but we consume first, and then we may experience lack. We don't have enough because of our consumption, and then we get afraid. We're afraid because we are lacking. How many of you have been so afraid of your bank account you just didn't look at it and just hoped it would be good until the next time you got paid? Yeah, that's, you know, log in online, close your eyes, peek peek through your fingers, see what you got. We medicate the fear by consuming more. You ever notice that? When I don't have, I I want to have, so it makes me feel better about the fact that I don't have or can't have, and we have this, you know tool introduced to us about 40 years ago that we can buy now, pay later. So we can keep this cycle of consuming, lacking, fearing, consuming, going. And we live, according to the world's paradigm, as fearful, lacking consumers instead of generous, open-handed stewards. Many of us allow our money to manage us rather than us managing our money. It controls us. So we have this paradigm. So how do we break the scarcity cycle. We make a decision to put God first. We talked about last week. We make a decision to put God first, put him first in our lives and put him first in the area of our finances. Part of that putting God first, where we begin is tithing. 
Now, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go online. We, we had a bit of a discussion about tithing and how it's not just an Old Testament thing, and it is for today, and if you disagree with that, that's fine. But here, we just believe, according to Scripture, that it's God's plan for our lives, and his way is better than our way. The first step towards changing a paradigm, putting God first, first step in putting God first is tithing. What that does is it changes our paradigm to living in the abundance cycle the, with an abundance mindset. And it's very different than the scarcity mindset. The abundance mindset says this, God supplies. What we do first is we give. We give first. It takes faith to give first, not to give last. We give first. We give, we give God multiplies, our faith grows, and we give. God teaches us how to be generous when we are actually generous. And like we saw last week, God supplies us with the seed, just like a farmer, to be generous. So the only way we learn to be generous is by being generous. Not feeling it, but doing it. So we give, God multiplies, our faith grows, and we give. And this new cycle starts for us. This morning, what I want to talk about is is really living in that abundance. And living in abundance, what really starts in our thinking. It starts with how we think. Our thinking precedes our doing. Everything we do begins as a thought in our mind. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, or as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. As we as people think in our hearts, so are we. It begins in the mind. Like, I think weight loss begins in the mind, not on the plate. Right? Weight loss begins in the mind, not in the gym. I, I, I have an a accountability partner to go to the gym with every week. It's Pastor Brian. Because I know at, at 6.30 in the morning when my alarm goes off, I'm not going to naturally want to get out of bed and go lose my love handles. So the motivation for me is, I know Brian's going to be there. I don't want let Brian down. So it begins in the mind. In the same way, scarcity and abundance begin in the mind, not in the wallet. They begin in the mind, not in the wallet. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not the renewing of your actions, not the renewing of your emotions, by the renewing of your mind, as you think you are. When you stand in front of the mirror in the morning and you look at yourself, how you think about yourself, that's what will manifest. Your thoughts are powerful. So you have to begin to change the way that you think. Change your paradigm as as it relates to how you're going to look at money and your relationship with money, and not just money, but your resources and your life in general. Do you think scarcity or do you think abundance? Now, if we're going to live in abundance, I think it's important to define abundance. I think that's really, really important. Because if I say, what is abundance? We're going to think money, stuff, success, achievements, right? That money is, that, that abundance is going to be something, you know, tangible that we can hold and we can achieve and we can amass. Now, I don't think that abundance is just money. I think that abundance in the form of looking at it just as money, it really limits who God is. If we only see God through the lens of dollars and cents, then we believe he's some cosmic ATM machine, right? Or vending machine. 
I put in my thing, I get what I want, and praise God you did what I want. What about when you put it in and he doesn't? He does what you don't want him to do? Then it wrecks your theology because you've pigeonholed or couched God into something that he's not, or you've limited him so much that he's only dollars and cents or a car, a vacation, or whatever. That's not what abundance is. I believe that abundance, by definition, is God. That God and God alone is abundance. Because what I don't want you to think about this series is he's teaching me how to make more money. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to amass a pile of money for the church or for yourselves. I'm trying to get you to think differently and see the world through the eyes of God and see that God himself is abundance. He says, this is how he defines himself in the Old Testament. I am the God who is more than enough. That's what abundance is, to have more of something than is necessary or required. I am the God who is more than enough. God is extravagant. God is abundant. Now, this is a beautiful time of the year to see that. You see all the leaves on the trees, right? Aren't they beautiful? They are. I mean, why? we don't need colors. They don't benefit you and I in our daily lives in a tangible, practical way. They're just green leaves that turn colors because they're dying, Right? Those leaves are not coming to life when they turn colors. They are dying. The chlorophyll that makes them green is draining out of them. The life is literally draining out of them and the leaves are going to fall. Yet God is so extravagant and abundant that he made death beautiful. Think about it. Then you're like, oh, these leaves are incredible. And then the other day as you drove through High Ridge, there was snow on top of the leaves. How often do we get to see that, right? How often does it snow in November, the first week in November? right? God is extravagant. I mean, think of the most beautiful place in the world you've been and you just stand in awe and you don't have words because of the abundance and extravagance of God. I went to Brazil about a couple years ago and we went to this place called Belo Horizonte and the guy, the missionary stopped at this overlook and got out and said, just climb up on that ridge and look. And I looked and it was just absolutely beautiful. The city down in the valley, the mountains, you can see the the clouds roll in and I'm just like, I took a video and sent it to Lauren and she said, I'm jealous. (laughs) I mean, it was just a sight to behold. You ever been on a cruise or maybe those of you in the Navy, you, you, you look out at the vast expanse of the ocean and you're just, you, you know you're a small speck in the midst of this large expanse of water. God is abundant and he is extravagant. He does more than enough. Jesus Christ was more and is more than enough for you and me. Paul said, God, you have given us an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And Jesus is grace, an abundance. He said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God does more than enough. So when you think of abundance, please don't limit God to your bank account. Don't limit God to the bill that you need to have paid. God can, no question, but he wants to do more because that's who he is. He's the God who is more than enough. Now, last week when we talked about tithing, I gave you a very famous passage of Scripture, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I want to take a look at it again because there's, there's a phrase in there I want us to focus on as we define abundance. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And he says, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven. Everybody say windows of heaven. For you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. 
I don't know about you, but that seems like a good offer. Right? Try it. Put me to test. I'll rain a blessing. I will open the windows of heaven. You won't be able to contain it. You won't be able to know what to do with it. Question is, what are the windows of heaven? Is it quarters? Is it $100 bills? Is it the $1.6 billion mega millions you know, lottery that was there? No, no, it's not just money. When God says, I will rain down for you a blessing, what he's saying is, I am more than enough. And I will give you myself, which his self manifests in joy, peace, fulfillment, purpose, provision, soul prosperity, intimacy in your, in your marital and familial relationships. See, God knows that money's just a tool. Money does not bring happiness. Money will not fix any of your problems today. You say, well, I got some bills that could be paid today. (laughs) Yeah, but why are you in that situation? Some things are beyond our control, but very many things are because of our control or lack thereof. See, I love it. I heard once somebody say this, one pastor said, money makes you more of what you already are. If If you're broke and you're a jerk, you'll be rich and be a jerk. It does not change you to be better. It only amplifies the problem. If you can't manage what you have, why would God give you more? If you know your kid can't manage money, do you just give them money? If you know your kid can't control their appetite, do you just feed them till they become morbidly obese? No. Why? Because you're a good parent. You're good. You give them what they need. You give them more of yourself and what they need. See, we we want God to do something for us that's so myopic. It's so focused. God just fixed this. God has the bigger view. And God says, let me fix the root and not the symptom. I want to give you myself. And yet all you want is dollars and cents. God talks about money in the scripture 2,300 times. Resources and related. 2,300 times. Do you think God is just so infatuated with money that he wanted to let us know? No. God knows that there's nothing that vies for the heart of an individual more than money. That it has a control over us. The number one cause of divorce in North America is money. It's not infidelity. It's not, oh, I fell out of love with you. It's arguments over money. Money is neither good nor bad. It just is. The love of money is what is inherently evil. It's that love of money, of stuff, of of more, that God knows the human heart cannot effectively contain. So God has implemented and instituted a mindset and a system by which it takes the power of money away. That's why he says the first thing you do is give. Because you're exercising God-given control and power over the resource. Give it away. It will not hold you. God doesn't care if you have stuff, but does the stuff have you? That's the issue. So when we talk about abundance, I'm talking about God. Think about what you could use in your life that's more than money. How many of you say, I could use some peace in my heart that $100, 1000 10000 could never give? Purpose. Think about how many people on the earth, man, want to know their purpose. They're making millions, and they still don't know their purpose. At the height of people's careers, they're more depressed than they were when they had nothing because they don't know who they are. 
purpose, peace, joy, reconciliation and relationships. This is who God is. Money just, when you start talking about that, money just sits on the side and you're like, oh yeah, God can do that. He wants to do so much more. So as we look at this, we say, how do we live in this kind of abundance? What we have to do is change our mind. We have to change our mind. We have to adopt a new set of thinking. The word repent in the Bible that we talk about, repenting from your sins, the word metanoia in the Greek literally means to change one's mind. So I want us to repent of a scarcity mindset. And also in, in, in that word has the, the understanding of turning. As you change your mind, you turn your back to one way of living and you move in a different direction. And you adopt a mindset of abundance that God is more than enough. Now, I find it very interesting. There's a a passage of scripture, a well-known story in the Gospels that can teach us about something very much about multiplication and and abundance. And it's the feeding of the 5,000. Right? This story, I think it's in every, every Gospel, all four of them. Jesus talking to his disciples and they are talking to a group of people, excuse me, and he has this conversation with his disciples. So they're going to have to feed 5,000 people, but literally that's just the men. They only counted the men back then. You're looking at 15 to 20,000 people they have to feed. Jesus is teaching, so 15 to 20,000 people have come, and it says to a desolate area, out in the middle of nowhere, there's no restaurants, right? There's nothing you can go to, and the disciples come to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, these people are tired, they're hangry, and we ain't got no food to feed them. Stop preaching. Anybody ever felt that about 1130? You know, you ready? Get out of here. Stop preaching. It's time to go. Time to go. And we see the difference in mindsets here. We see how Jesus has one mindset in his approach to the problem, and the disciples have a mindset and approach to the problem. And we'll talk about that here. But I want to read to you just the beginning of this passage. This is Mark 6, 34 through 38. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves so they can buy themselves something to eat. Now listen to Jesus. But he answered them, give them something to eat. Okay, Jesus, that sounds doable. And they said to him, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and figure it out. Go see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So here's the problem. 15 to 20,000 people, they're hungry in the middle of nowhere. They come to Jesus. See, their mindset is my mindset and would be your mindset. Very logical, very practical. These people need to eat Jesus. We don't have any food. We probably only have enough food for ourselves. We need to let them go. Let them go. And Jesus said, what? Just give them something. Oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, that makes sense. What do you want us to give? We, we, we fundamentally have nothing. And then Jesus says, well, uh, what do you have? And they said, well, hey, look, do you want us to spend 200 denarii worth of food? And what they're asking is 200 denarii is, is equivalent to half a year's wage. That's what it would cost to feed all these people. Now, these guys are traveling around with Jesus. They're on a ministry tour. They don't have a lot of money. And they're saying, do you want us to empty out half of the year's wage, maybe half of our supplies to, to feed these people? And Jesus says, well, what do you have? You know, Jesus does a really interesting thing. He always teaches through questions. He questions the questioner. Why? Because he reveals to the questioner 
their thought process and the, the mindset with which they're proceeding from. See, we see two mindsets at play here. The disciples is a mindset of scarcity, which always says there's not enough, and it always asks, what can I afford? That's what scarcity does. There's not enough, what can I afford? Jesus has an abundance mindset, and he says, oh, there's more than enough. What do you have? There's more than enough, that's what abundance says, and what do you have? He's questioning them and revealing to them their thinking and that their mindset is scarcity. His is abundance. But if you and I were there, we'd be right along with the disciples, wouldn't we? What would we have to tell us in life that five loaves and two fish, and these are not like king salmon, these are like sardines from a little boy who brought his lunch that could feed fifteen to 20,000 people? Absolutely nothing. So it's very understandable. Jesus teaches to them something and to us something about abundance. Two things specifically. What Jesus teaches them the first thing is, is that God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is blessed. I want you to look at this. Mark chapter 6 verses 40 through 41. He says, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Look at the organization there. I think that's wonderful. And they took five loaves and two fish, and he looked up. This is Jesus to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So when he told the disciples, asked them, what do you have? What do you have? They went out. They found what they had was five loaves of bread and two fish. And then what they did is they brought it to Jesus first. I don't think that they were being super spiritual to bring it to Jesus because they knew he was going to do a miracle. I think they looked at five loaves and two fish and thought, I have no idea what in the world he's going to do with this. Like Peter, if Peter was holding it, was like, this is a snack for me. It's a snack. And they brought it to Jesus. God multiplies what is blessed. They brought it to him first so that he could bless it. Just like we said, it takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to give last. So often what we do is, is we look at the offering that we are going to give and we say, it is insignificant, I don't have enough, and what can I afford? And God's perspective is, what do you have? Because there's more than enough. You want to know how God looks at giving? Jesus was with his disciples another time and and they are watching this scene unfold where these people are coming and giving. It's kind of interesting. Imagine if if we did offering here, we had buckets lined up and while the offering was, I stood like this. Me and the other pastors and we watched you bring your gift. And we we looked and see who was giving more. Kind of a weird thing. That's the story. And Jesus is, is, is talking to his disciples and here comes this little woman. She's a widow. She's, she's got hardly any money. She gives what's called a mite, which is less than a penny. And Jesus stops and he says, hey guys, look at this. She gave more than anybody else here today. God doesn't look at the number on your check, your text, your online giving. God is primarily looking at your heart. God doesn't have a list of the top 10 givers in heaven so that when they come in, they're going to get VIP treatment. Like they're going to be in a mansion close to him. Like, oh man, that guy, that lady, they give a lot. They are getting the heavenly preferential treatment. You get to stay in the ghetto because you didn't give anything. <laughs> now God is looking at the heart, looking at the heart. So many times we don't give God an opportunity to bless what we're giving because we don't give first. 
You say, well, are you telling me that God says I have to give first for him to bless it? He's not going to bless me any other way? Here's what I am saying. There's probably a lot of ways that God could do it. But God, if we believe that he is fundamentally in control and that he knows what's best and he gave us this system that I don't get to tell him what, system, what it's right and what's wrong, I have the opportunity to participate in it because it works. It works. Now, you and I, we can debate and we can sit around and we can argue all, all over the place if we should do it, if we shouldn't do it, if it's scriptural or not. I believe it's scriptural. I like to argue. My father said when I was growing up, son, you'd argue with a dead man and then kick him for not responding. Right? I mean, we, we can argue about it. Let's argue. But at the end of the day, I'm going to do it because it works and because God said it. Amen. And he's good. He said it. He said, give first. So we give first. And he blesses it. And the amazing thing is, is that it says this, that Jesus looked up. It may seem like an obscure detail in the text, but I think it's so wonderful. It says that he took it in his hands and he looked up. I think demonstrating for us the proper way to give. We never look at the amount in our hand and say, oh, it's too little. Scarcity, not enough. God, I'm not giving you enough. Well, when I have more, I'll give you. No, no, no. It begins in the mind, not in the wallet. God doesn't fatten your wallet, and then you give. Studies show the more we make, the less we give. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The proper way to give is saying, God, here's what I have, and look up. God, it is little in my hand, but I give to you because you're the God who is more than enough. This is what I have. You can say, well, this is what I can afford. Don't say that. Change your mind. God, this is what I have. And I give saying, you are more than enough. And the generosity came from a little kid. Isn't that amazing? A little boy, he brought his lunch. His mom, can you imagine this? His mom probably sent, packed this lunch for him to go hear about Jesus, this guy. And he's just being a good little kid. And here's these burly disciples come up and say, hey, you got any food? Yeah, five loaves and two fish. I'm taking it because Jesus needs it. <laughs> right? I don't know if it happened like that. But I do know there's something about kids. There's this inherent generosity in kids, isn't there? Sometimes the world and we stamp it out. Kids kind of intuitively, even though sometimes they are not very intuitively good, but they intuitively want to give. They also intuitively want to take. We know. But they seem to understand, hey, hey, they want to give. And see, the second thing that we learn about Jesus, the first one is God multiplies what is blessed. Give God an opportunity to bless what you're giving. Secondly is that God multiplies what is given away. He multiplies what is given away. Look at the, the last two verses, 43 and, or 42 and 43. It says that, And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Now, to feed fifteen to 20,000 people, estimated it would take two to three semis worth of food, full. Right? So Jesus isn't dumb. He knows to feed all these people is going to require a miracle. And what we do know in the text, because of what's not included, is it's not like the food just showed up. It wasn't like Jesus said, all right, God, and then his hand just went, whoop, and food fell from heaven. And there was a big pile, and Jesus said, all right, go for it. No, no. Jesus broke them down into groups of hundreds and fifties, told his disciples, break them in groups. He's organized. Jesus is fully expecting God, God's going God's to do this. And what's amazing is, is that the food was multiplied as it was given away, not before. There were 12 baskets full left over. How many disciples are there? 12. Now, I can't tell you for sure that the 12 is because of the 12, but I just wonder, I just wonder if as a matter of fact, as the disciples were thinking, scarcely there's not enough, we can't afford it, we're going to have to spend half of what we own. At the end of it, Jesus says, all right, guys, here's a basket, each for you, full. 
What do you think it was like for those disciples to hold a basket full of food from five loaves and two fish? You say, hey man, eat all you want. Make up doggy bags, give leftovers. We've got, we got too much food left over. I will rain, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. But it, it was multiplied as it was given away. Sometimes we want God to pile it up and then we'll give it away. But God gives as it passes through our hands because little becomes much in the hands of God. Little becomes much in the hands of God. Like my dad said, that, that my dad said, 500 bucks. God said, I can do more with that 500 than you can, A.W. And I love what my mom said. I didn't give him a script. I wasn't even there when they filmed. My mom said, when you get in the habit of giving, habit, you make a decision. God, we're going to be generous. Not just with our money, with our time, with our talents, our resources, all those things. But God will multiply it as you give it away. He will multiply it as you give it away. I was so blessed this morning. Uh, in January, my grandfather will have passed away. It will be four years that he passed away. And he was a hero in my life, and he was a pastor, just an amazing guy. And this morning out in the foyer, I met this guy. He came up to me and says, hey, I used to work for your grandpa. And I'm thinking, okay, which grandpa? And I'm like, David Earls? He said, yeah. He goes, I used to drive a bus for your grandfather. Now, I've told this a little bit, but my grandpa, you know, got saved late in life, was working for the post-dispatch, quit his job to be a pastor, and uh, to start, he started a bus ministry, bought the first bus, and then told my grandma on his way home that he bought it, kind of a thing. And he started a bus ministry. The bus ministry grew from Arnold, Missouri in the 1970s, all the way out to Eureka, all the way downtown in the projects, Festus, and kind of everywhere in between. They're bringing 1,500 kids a weekend, blowing it up. This guy said, yeah, I should drive a bus for your grandpa. I drove, I drove out in Eureka. And he said, oh, just such a great time. Your grandfather was such a wonderful man. I'm just thinking, man, that's so, I'm, just, I'm so blessed because of my grandfather. His generosity keeps on giving. You know, think about it. How many people are in church today or know Jesus because of buses that went out and people that got on them every week and drove them? Some of the people that, that worked on those buses went into the projects in downtown St. Louis and got these kids out of bed and dressed them and put them on the bus. Can you imagine from downtown St. Louis sending your kids to church and you not being with them? And then guess what was so cool? I met a lady after church. She said, hey, she's grown up. She loves the Lord. She goes, I used to ride those buses on your grandfather." I wrote them from the time I was a little girl all the way to 12 years old. And they go to this church now. How incredible is that? You think that when you give something away, it's for you. You think it's not going to outlive you. Oh my gosh, you're, you're building a legacy of generosity for your family. You know, because of my grandfather's generosity, it's, it's so amazing. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a very low point pastoring the church and things were going on and I was just like, God, I need something. You know what I mean? God, I, I need to know that you're with me, you're for this and whatever. You know, I was just complaining. I just needed God. And this lady came up to me after church and she said, are you Josh Earls? And I said, well, yeah. I don't know how she knew my last name. She said, is your grandfather David Earls? And I just, whoo, I lost it. I started crying right away. I'm like, what's going on? This is freaking me out. But it feels like the Lord. She said, your grandfather was in the dialysis unit with my husband and I. See, my grandpa had to retire from ministry a bit earlier than he wanted to because he had kidney failure and had to go to dialysis three times a week. He was praying to the Lord. He said, God, are you done with me? I feel like I don't have a purpose anymore. And the Lord said, David, what are you talking about? Look at all these people in the dialysis unit. You're here 12 to 15 hours a week. I've called you to pass through these people. So he said, the dialysis unit became my church. He would pray with people. He would talk with them. And he'd spent time with this lady and her husband praying and talking and being a source of encouragement while he's on dialysis too. My grandpa had already passed at this point, And she said, your grandfather 
used to tell me, hey, my grandson pastors a church. He's a pretty good preacher. He's right. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and she, he said, you need, you need to check it out. She said, I, I heard that for two years. She said, my husband just died here not too long ago. And I remembered what your grandfather said. And I'm here. I snot cried on her shoulder. <laughs> that, that to think that, that my grandfather's generosity and the generosity of all those other people is affecting me today and I didn't do anything for it. I'm reaping the benefit of someone else who is being generous that as they gave, God continues to multiply it 45 years later. That's what happens when you're generous. It keeps going and growing and growing. See, I, before I became the pastor, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and said, Josh, you will use the wells that your grandfather dug in this area. And I said, God, what are those wells? And the Lord said, they are the bus routes that your grandfather had. So I got out a map. I'm mapping out those bus routes. And God is trickling in generosity from the wells that my grandfather dug. He dug wells of generosity. And I'm asking you this morning, will you do the same thing? Will you dig a well of generosity that will outlive you? You want purpose and meaning in life? You're not going to get it through consuming. You're not going to get it by just amassing more. You're going to give it by, get it by giving stuff away. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you cannot experience that logically. You cannot experience that emotionally. You can only experience that by doing it. If you ask, give me a choice, I want to receive. Of course. Buy me stuff. But that's not what God says. God says, give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Now, hey. Be wise, be smart, save for retirement, do all that good stuff. But make a decision to be generous and experience the joy of what God said. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, that he would give. He would give. You can't outrun and outlive the generosity of God. See, when that lady stood before me a few years ago, she gave me way more than money ever could. She could have said, God told me to give you a $1,000 check for this church. And I'd have been, thank you very much. That's awesome. But you know what? That day, that day, I knew that I knew that I knew that God was with me and that he was for me. My grandpa planted a seed of generosity by praying, by loving. And it continues that way. See, the reason why we're handing you these cards out, we want you to take a first step and be kind and be generous. Like these weren't just like a cool idea that I thought, hey, let's give everybody a card so they can leave on their chair or on the floor or throw in the trash can. I mean, I just would have rather buy paper and throw it away if we're going to do that. But to say, here, here gives you a token. Here gives you a reminder that, that you can plant a seed of generosity. And last week we said, hey, put it on somebody, put it on your tab, right? Like buy somebody a coffee, buy their groceries, fill their gas, uh, you know, just do something for them, hand them this card and, and, and just be generous and see what happens. And guess what? You never know what this seed of generosity may do for someone else, may do for your kids, may do for your grandkids. You never know. This week, we want you to be a friendly neighbor. Can you be a friendly neighbor? How many of you still have leaves in your own yard? Or someone else's? Maybe go rake leaves. Maybe, maybe just see what somebody needs. Maybe there's somebody who's incapacitated or whatever. They need help. Or just, I mean, be a na- you don't have to be a neighbor to your neighbors. You can be a neighbor anywhere you go. Have a conversation with somebody. Take five minutes in the store and encourage somebody. Say, hey, you know, I just saw you over there and just wanted to let you know God loves you. And there's a group of people in, down here in House Springs that will love you too. And just 
Just put yourself out there and see what God does. A few years ago, we lived, Lauren and I were living in a duplex, and we had this neighbor who wasn't cutting their grass, and it was driving me nuts, right, because it was getting tall. And, and then I find out that this lady was, the lady who lived there, she was a single mom, and, and I'm like, man, that lady needs to cut her grass. And the Lord is like, maybe you need to cut her grass. And I'm like, that's a good idea, Lord. And the neighbor, the other neighbor got mad, cut his own grass, took all the, the glass clippings, and dropped them right in the front yard of this lady. And I was like, ha-ha, what do you think of that? And I wanted to say, ha-ha, I think you're a jerk, but... I picked up the grass clippings and, and I dumped them and I knocked on this lady's door and I said, hey, uh, she said, who are you? And I'm like, well, I just live over here and I noticed your grass is getting kind of tall. And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, you know, hey, I just thought maybe I could cut your grass if that's okay with you. She's like, yeah, do whatever you want. That lady never thanked me. I cut that grass for over a year. She never came and said thank you. She never brought me a glass of lemonade like you see in the movies. <laughs> she didn't do any of that. You know what she kept doing? Taking care of her kids getting them to school, getting them to their dad's house. One less thing she had to worry about. You think the most important thing in her life was the grass growing in the front yard? Who cares about grass when you're putting food on a table for your kids? Cut that grass, cut that grass, cut that grass. Cool, Lord, didn't mind me. I kind of like cutting grass, I'll be honest. I see, the, I see the product of my work. Most of the time when I do, I go home, I don't know whether I was a success or not. If I can cut grass, I can do the dishes and I can iron my clothes. I think once was wrinkles, now there's not. Hallelujah. You know? <laughs> I accomplished something today. I'm, I, I like to iron. I'm a better ironer than Lauren. I iron Lauren's clothes. I get them up. I'll iron them. I'll iron them. Calms me down. You need something iron? Bring it to me. $5 a piece. No, just <laughs> Start a dry cleaning business. What's amazing is since we moved out here in the last five or six years, I've only cut my grass twice. People just cut it. How? Cut your grass? Cool. All right. I didn't do it to get my grass cut. But it was just another little thing like, God, I cut that grass. Now you're cutting my grass. This generosity thing works. It works. We don't do it for that. But maybe there's just a little prompting on your heart to do something nice for somebody. Hey, just be generous. It will come back around. You can't outgive God. You can't outgenerosity God. A generous man. It says this, the Bible says this. He who refreshes others, will he himself also be refreshed? Being open-handed, being generous, it's just a decision to refresh others. That's all that it is. And that's what I want for you to experience and live in the abundance of God is really that he is more than enough. More than enough peace, joy, hope, fulfillment, prosperity, reconciliation. That's who he is. That's who he is. Next week, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. I'm going to give you some very practical ways of how you can be a giver, how you can be an intentional giver, just having a plan, and, and we'll knock it off. And then two weeks after that, we're going to start a series on worship called So Will I. I'm really excited as we move into, Christian, move into Christmas with understanding, so will I, that even if the rocks cry out and creation will sing your praise, so will I. That's coming up. But hey, in this season, make a decision, not just in this season to be generous, but to live an open-handed life. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray for you. I got 55 seconds to pray, and I'll be on time, all right? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for such a, generous, a generous group of people. God, we're making a decision to orient our life around being used by you. Making a decision, God, to not live in a scarcity mindset, but to live in an abundance mindset. That you supply, we give, you multiply, our faith grows, and we give. God, you multiply what is blessed, and you multiply what is given away. Help us, Lord, to come to the point where we can give you the opportunity to bless what we're giving. May we not ask, what can I afford, and there's not enough, but, Father, may we begin to ask, 
What do I have? And you're the God who is more than enough. Show us where we can start, Father. Show us what we have. For if we live in scarcity, God, we're, all, we're not going to be able to see what we have because we're going to focus on what we don't have. But God, help us to see what we do have and how you want to use it and know that little becomes much in your hands. Bless us this week. God, I just pray for anybody that's hunting right now or going to be hunting. Keep them warm out there. Keep them safe. Help them to get a big deer. And uh, we'll have a great time. And bless all the veterans once again, Father, for their service. Every, every service member right now that anywhere in the world that is serving, we just pray your hand of protection upon them. Father, may they know that they're not alone and that you love them and you are with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Have a good one. Amen.